I've always felt that I am not qualified to give witness. When I was younger, people would ask me to share my testimony and, well, I don't have one. There's no conversion story. I'm just a boring, ordinary Catholic. I was born in an ordinary Catholic family, was baptized at eight days old, went to Mass every Sunday, was part of a youth group, went to catechism. I never did drugs, I never fooled around, I never doubted or left the church. When I went to university, I joined the campus Catholic community. I was a music minister for about 25 years before I was ordained to the diaconate. Pretty boring. But then I realized that most of you are probably the same. Regular, ordinary Catholics who go to Mass most Sundays. Most of us probably don't even understand why we need to go to Mass. We don't think of ourselves as religious. And please don't ask me to do more in the church. And if by any chance we feel that we want to deepen our prayer life or learn more about Scripture or about what the church teaches or if we feel we want to serve others or, God forbid, we want to share our faith in Jesus with others, we think that that means that we have a vocation to the priesthood. But if you feel that way, it doesn't mean that you should be a priest or a nun. You're just responding to the natural tug of what God has planted in all our hearts, the universal call to holiness. We are all called to be holy. That's not just for priests and nuns. We are all created to be saints. And I think that the best saints are the ordinary ones, like you and me. Saints who struggle, who fall, who are sinners. But what makes them saints is that they constantly get back up. They continue to pray despite the struggles and seek God's mercy. I can do that. So can you. And that's what I always remember on All Saints Day. That's our day. Let's go be saints of the new millennium. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. First off, we have some prizes to give away. Chris Boyer, you have won a copy of John Angotti's album, I Believe. Rita Bray, you won a copy of Curtis Stevens' album, Songs of Consolation. William Brito, you won a copy of Tori Harris's album, Sweet Dolore. If you haven't yet done so, please send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, so we can mail you your prizes. And also, we have three winners who are getting Simonetta and Forever's new album, Ineffable, that we featured last week. Claire Brown, Jose Luis Ceniceros, and Mary Chan. Claire Brown, Jose Luis Ceniceros, and Mary Chan all of you will receive a copy of Simonetta and Forever's new album, Ineffable. Please contact us so you can claim your prize. And today, we have our usual segments. Stefan will be here with our news, and Andrew will be here with a Saint of the Week. And if you're listening to the program on Saturday, it is All Saints Day. So Father Thomas Rosica has a special reflection for this important feast, and that's in about 20 minutes. In our second half hour, we're going to be speaking about spousal prayer. Most husbands and wives don't pray together. Our guest, Deacon James Keating, says that praying together is one of the most intimate activities that a husband and wife can do together. That's in about half an hour. And after that, we get to meet a new singer-songwriter, Craig Colson. So let's get started. Here's Craig Colson with I Am The Way from his album of the same name.
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you so? That was our featured artist of the week, Craig Colson, with the title track of his album, I Am The Way. And we're going to be speaking with Craig Colson in our second half hour. And in about five minutes, 
Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. But first, here we are with Stefan Slovak for our news. Today, we're going to talk about marriage, marriage science, and exorcists. <laughs> yeah. three. Uh, what do those three <laughs> things have in common? The Holy Father. Uh, <laughs> he has dabbled in all three this week. Uh, so coming out of the Synod, uh, which received all kinds of worldwide media attention, uh, there was a lot of questions as to the how, you know the Holy Father where he was at. Yeah, uh, he had delivered statements at the beginning and the end of the synod, but this past Saturday uh, he met with the Shunstat movement. It's a Marian and Apostolic movement that was celebrating its 100th anniversary. Uh, in that meeting that he had with him in the Paul VI audience hall, he delivered a huge defense of marriage. Uh-huh. Uh, he said that it's been it is today under attack like never before, and he really wanted to go out of his way to talk about. Uh, its sacramental nature, and not to simply label it as a right. social right or a right. social construct uh, of society today. As no, well. and I think people in North America don't really get the movements thing as they do in Europe and Latin America. And it's true that movements, a way to promote family and marriage through the movements, lay movements and associations, is huge. Um, so, uh, marriage, science. Science. So, uh, Pope Francis went to the uh, Pontifical Academy of Sciences uh, this week, okay. where he unveiled, first of all, a bronze bust of uh, Benedict XVI. So, he was there for that occasion, but also the Academy has their uh, their an- annual plenary, uh, where this year they're talking about uh, the evolving concepts of nature. Mm-hmm. So, Pope Francis touched on topics uh, such as evolution, evolution. and uh, the Big Bang and said that they're not inconsistent uh, with Christianity. Uh, in fact, you look at something like the Big Bang, it was mm-hmm. in fact posited by a Catholic priest. Georges Lemaitre, Catholic Chris- priest, first episode of creation. Precisely. So uh, the world's media really picked up on this one, saying that the church has drastically changed its opinion uh, on these yeah. matters. However, silly, silly. The Pope was just reinforcing uh, what exactly. Catholics already know, but I think it's because it's Pope Francis and the media spotlight that's on him. We really yeah. see, uh, you know, an emphasis on the story. It's true. No, there you go. So in case you missed it, the Big Bang Theory was the guy who came up with the Big Bang Theory was a Catholic priest, Father George Lemaitre. Look it up. Um, and finally, exorcisms. Yes. In Rome this week, the International Association of Exorcists are meeting. Uh, they were officially recognized by the Congregation for Clergy earlier this year. So this is an officially uh, sanctioned Vatican uh, association. So there are about 300 exorcists from around the globe there uh, who gathered in Rome. And Pope Francis, uh, who quite regularly speaks about the devil, perhaps more regularly yes, than, than any other any, pope, any other pope yeah. uh, he, he sent them a, uh, a message uh, where you know, he said to them that uh, you know, those who uh, are doing exorcisms, uh, they really show the love and care of the church uh, for those who suffer because of the work of the devil. So uh, Pope Francis really standing uh, arm in arm with uh, with the exorcists there as they you know as they really explore uh, you know all 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 you know what they're saying is still a very relevant and important issue today uh, you know things like you know demonic activity yes. uh, things that even the Pope is regularly referring to. In fact, to. on this program, I think it was two weeks ago, we had Matt Baglio, the author of The Right, the movie, the the, the book that the movie was based on, and we talked about exorcisms. Um, so maybe a question for our listeners. What do exorcists do when they get together? What do they, what do they play? What games do they play? Anyway, thank you, Stefan. Uh, the Pope has been busy this week. Um, thank you for that update. Stefan Slovak is sitting in for Alicia Ambrosio. He is our producer and host of our daily update perspectives, and you can watch that on Salt and Light Television 
every evening or on demand at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Stephen Reese from Longelous, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and you can tell us how much you like the show by emailing us at radio at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, welcome back to hey, the program. Hey, it's All Saints today. It is All it's Saints. It's a celebration of All Saints in the Church. But Don't you're you not, <laughs> not going to talk about All Saints today, are you? <laughs> no, no, we're not going to list them all because, uh, oh my goodness, there has to be millions of saints. Because um, That could be good. You know, good. Anyone who gets to heaven, we know, is just automatically considered a saint. They're perfect in the eyes of God. That one day... So, you know, well, Andrew, we just... Not unless you would like a really, really long radio show. No, uh, today, one day... Uh, we're just going to look at one. But uh, okay. happy All Saints Day. Yes, thank you. So who are we looking at today? We're going to look at St. Leo the Great. Okay. I know him. I know of him. Uh, do I know much about his story? Not so much. Neither so do I. So I thought we would take a minute or two and, and, and look at uh, the life of St. Leo the Great. So he was born in Tuscany, which we know is in uh, present-day Italy. So as a deacon, uh, Leo was dispatched to Gaul as a mediator by Emperor Valentinian III. So he reigned as pope between the years 440 and 461 after Christ. Uh, he persuaded Emperor Valentinian to recognize the primacy of the Bishop of Rome. So the doctrine of the Incarnation, that teaching of the Church, mm-hmm. was formed by him, was formed by St. Leo the Great, in a letter to the Patriarch of Constantinople, so, and who had already condemned uh, Eutyches. At the Council of Chalcedon, uh, this same letter was confirmed as the expression of Catholic faith concerning the person of Christ, mm-hmm. who Jesus is, how he is uh, both human and divine at the same time. So um, all secular historical, I guess, treatises Mm -hmm. uh, eulogize his efforts uh, during the upheaval of the 5th century uh, barbarian invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, He had an encounter with Attila the Hun uh, at the very gates of Rome, persuading him to turn back. And that remains a very historical moment, a very historical memorial to um, to his great eloquence. Yeah. So when the Vandals um, came under attack and they occupied the city of Rome, he persuaded the invaders to um, desist from looting the city and harming all those who lived in it. So he died in the year 461, and we know that he left many letters and writings of great historical value. So in the Church, uh, we recognize his feast day on November the 10th, which is coming up. Excellent. St. Leo the Great, an Italian aristocrat, and was the first pope to have been called the Great. Great. Yeah, he was great indeed, and there are three popes in the Church. There's three people who who have been considered um, great, who have been given that title. Uh, We know the story of St. Leo the Great, which we just heard. Yes. uh, Pope Gregory the Great. Yes. And uh, Pope Nicholas. Excellent. And a lot of people will say that John Paul will also be given that title, John Paul. Yeah, you know what? That's coming. That's uh, that's coming in due time. God yes. knows best. So um, I, I I expect the Church to have a fourth great Pope. And, you know, uh, there's no debate about that. No one should be having a debate in the Church as to why Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul II, I should say, yeah. uh, is not worthy of that title. Yeah. No, 25, 26 years, papacy. What he did for the church was just was just spectacular. Yes. So absolutely. Yeah. In our second all these holy men, we pray to. In our second half hour, we have a deacon that's uh, our guest, Deacon James Keating, and you mentioned that Saint Leo 
had been a deacon, and I know that Pope Gregory the Great was was made. He was a deacon and was made pope. So I wonder if it was the same case with Leo, because you said he was a deacon, but you didn't say that he was a priest. So I don't know if you know that information. Maybe some of our listeners know the answer, and they can they can write to us and and tell us. Um, radio at saltandlighttv.org or on Facebook, Salt and Light. SL Radio 1, or uh, directly through my Twitter handle, at Deacon Pedro GM. Andrew, thank you very much for this uh, St. Leo the Great, November It's going to be a great month. going to be a great month. Okay, so we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Andrew Santos is a youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario, and he is our saint expert. Hi, this is Simonetta, and you're listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. The month of November is the month of the saints. November 1st heralds a time of serious reflection and prayer with the saints and blesseds of our Catholic tradition. It is also a good opportunity for us to take stock of the way that Pope John Paul II changed our way of viewing the saints and blesseds. The very way of reading saints has changed. In only 26 years of pontificate, John Paul gave the Church more than 1,338 blesseds and 482 saints. They are travel companions in joy and suffering. They are men and women who wrote a new page in their lives and in the lives of so many people. This was precisely the Pope's message. Holiness is not a gift reserved for a few. We can all aspire to it because it is a goal within our capacity, a great lesson reaffirmed by the Second Vatican Council and its call to universal holiness. Is it possible to sketch a model of holiness a la John Paul II? It is a holiness lived day in and day out. A saint is an authentic, concrete person, as John Paul II has told us over and over again. That person's testimony of life attracts, teaches, and draws because it manifests a transparent human experience, full of the presence of Christ. For the Polish pontiff, the call to holiness excludes no one. It is not the privilege of a spiritual elite. The real stars of John Paul II's pontificate were the saints and blesseds who did not try to be regarded as heroes or to shock or provoke. A saint is an ordinary person, a doctor, a university student, a nun who was a former slave, a priest who endured the Soviet gulags, a married couple, a catechist, a young mountain climber, friends. There are those within the church who criticize John Paul II, accusing him of creating an inflation of saints and blesseds. I disagree with those voices, especially after many years of working with young people. They in particular have a desperate need for real heroes and heroines, models and witnesses of faith and virtue that the world of sports and cinema and science and music cannot provide. For this decision to proclaim so many blesseds and saints, John Paul II has wished to propose figures capable of accompanying us along our journey. Karol Wojtyła himself was an extraordinary witness who, through his heroic efforts and especially his suffering, communicated the powerful message of the gospel to the men and women of our day. A great part of the success of his message is due to the fact that he was surrounded by a tremendous cloud of witnesses who stood by him and strengthened him. 
He introduced us to his many friends who form that cloud of witnesses. They are none other than the blesseds and the saints. Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. Send us your comments via Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. You can also find me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or through Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Remember that if you're looking for a great resource for your parish, look no further. The Church Alive is a unique series that hopes to inspire people and get them talking about the faith, to share stories of the new evangelization, and to highlight the broad and inclusive nature of Catholicism and its rich tradition. The Church Alive is a seven-disc box set and comes with a study guide everything you need for a parish weekly study program. During the month of October and the month of November, we are offering Salt and Light Hour listeners a 20% discount. You can get the Church Alive, that is all 13 half hours for just under $60. All you have to do when you go to our online store is use the following discount code, ALIVE20. So that's ALIVE, A-L-I-V-E, 2 Zero, the number two zero twenty. Just go to saltandlighttv.org slash store and use the promo code ALIVE20 and you will be able to get the church alive with a 20% discount. And if you forget the promo code, don't worry. Just send me a tweet at Deacon Pedro GM and I'll give it to you. Don't miss out on this great opportunity. It's great for your parish. And while you're on our website, you can find out more at saltandlighttv.org, the church alive. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can now listen to Christian Music Live all day long at that same web address. Just click on the Listen Live link. And here now is Sheridan. Welcome to a new season. Hello, Pedro. Hello, my friends. Have you ever wondered what the stewardship office does? Yes. I mean, no, because I don't really think about it. But yeah, I have no idea what that is. I got to tell you, I didn't know what they did either. Stewardship, yeah. Yeah. So I called up Eden D'Souza, coordinator of the stewardship office at the Diocese of Calgary, to find out more. Eden, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. First up, what is stewardship? What does the stewardship office oversee? Basically, um, answer your first question, what is stewardship? Basically, it's an awareness that everything we have and everything we are comes from God. Right. Now, um, what we do as uh, the stewardship office is develop that philosophy into each parish that we have throughout the diocese. Okay, so what's your role then? Our role basically is to um, go into parish pastoral councils and um, promote um, uh, like the pillars, of the principles of stewardship. So basically, it's uh, receiving God's gifts with gratitude, okay. cultivating God's gifts responsibly, like growing them, mm-hmm. um, forming them, and then also um, sharing God's gifts with the uh, per, uh, per, uh, with the parishioners. And then finally, um, after all that is done, we return God's gifts back to um, the glory of God. Okay, so how long have you been in this role, and um, what can we look forward to going forward? Um, I've been in this role for over three years. Uh, it's been a huge learning curve, and it's uh, it's been such a huge blessing and meeting so many great people throughout the Diocese of Calgary, as well as um, nationally and um, in the U.S. as well. And uh, one of the biggest things I think I've learned uh, in this office is um, the best way to be a good steward is learning the faith and um, and forming yourself and so one of the roles that we did as a stu- um from my office we formed this thing called faith life 
and it's a panel of priests that talk about the faith. Right. And oh, and it's been very successful. They go to different uh, parishes and they talk about different things. Our biggest uh, uh, event for faith life was um, the biggest topic that we had was the four last things, which was judgment, heaven, hell, and purgatory. And mm, interesting. Yeah. And what was the attendance like for that? We had over 450 people that attended that. Wow, that's impressive. Yes, and, and we videotape everything. It's on our diocese website, and so people can always check it out on our diocese website under the stewardship office. Okay, so that's calgarydiocese.ca? That is correct. Okay, anything coming up in the future that we can uh, talk about? Um, in t- we are planning for a couple of stewardship conferences, uh, one in 2014, uh, probably in June, and then another one, a, a, a big one in 2015, uh, another big conference there. But uh, uh, besides that, we always keep uh, forming with the parishes. So uh, that's, that's our goal is to form all our parish pastoral councils into a stewardship parish. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thanks so much, Eden. Thank you for having me. God bless. I was speaking with Eden D'Souza, coordinator of the Stewardship Office at the Diocese of Calgary. To find out more, visit calgarydiocese.ca. Yeah, that was good. Nice to hear Eden there. Hello, Eden. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Sheridan. So coming up in our second half hour, spouses praying together, and we meet singer-songwriter Craig Colson. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I remember several years ago, a good friend told me that one of the sexiest things he could think of doing with his girlfriend was to go to Mass together. Now, I don't know if I would use the word sexiest for Mass, but I do agree that praying together is incredibly intimate and it can definitely bring a husband and wife closer together. Deacon James Keating is the author of Spousal Prayer, A Way to Marital Happiness, and he says that prayer is, I quote, the most intimate experience a couple can share. I think this is a bold statement. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Deacon James Keating. Deacon James, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you very much. So the most intimate, really? Really, because you're actually, you and your bride are actually going right to the source of love right to the source of truth when you pray together, when you're vulnerable enough to share your, uh, your deepest feelings uh, with one another in the presence of God, when those feelings are being actually directed toward God's own heart, the bond between the husband and wife uh, deepens uh, apace, and it makes everything about the marriage uh, more unified. It's uh, raising of the children. Uh, it's also their own uh, sexual life, uh, mm-hmm. even how to handle the schedule during the day, because the effects of them bringing all of their thoughts, feelings, and desires to the Trinity every day right. uh, gives immeasurable graces to them to organize their own life, to be closer together, to share more deeply their own intimate feelings with each other as well. Mm-hmm. So it simply does uh, ground the marriage in the source of love itself. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you added that extra part of it in, um, in terms of the graces and bringing, bringing your struggles, et cetera, to the, to the Trinity, the source, because I, I think that a lot of skeptics or, or naysayers would say, well, how is that different than just a couple being vulnerable and sharing honestly with each other, but you're adding a different dimension? 
Yeah, it's the, the dimension of the source. That's right. And it's funny, whenever you mention this part, like it's okay for us to go to our counselor and yeah. learn how to share our deepest feelings with each other, and that's socially acceptable. But whenever you mention that being taken up into prayer as well, right. then this book, more than any other book I've written, uh, the comments back to me are always about, oh, this is too idealistic. Right. Uh, people will never be able to do this. There's a sad cynicism about what couples can achieve in love today, mm-hmm. particularly around the spiritual life. And I'm kind of hoping the book will help a little to dispel that cynicism if you enter into it. Okay. Now, um, you're not talking about just pray, you know, sitting next to each other and, and praying the rosary together, although that can be part of it. You're also adding a, a different element to that prayer experience, correct? Right. The The first thing that we need to do as couples, I think, is uh, to see whether the ground beneath us is firm enough even to pray. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I invite couples into is a new level of trust. Uh, in mm-hmm. marriage prep, particularly, we find that couples sometimes don't trust each other enough to pray. Right. And um, it, it's odd. It's backwards today. People cohabitate. Uh, they They have sex before marriage. But they don't come to God. Mm-hmm. That's that's too much. That's too revealing. And so we have to reverse that. We have to first tell them it's okay to trust one another with feelings, trust one another with their real ideas, the truths that are in their hearts, bring those to God, and the uh, the marriage will actually bond quicker that way. So you mentioned lack of trust. Is that, would you say, the main reason why husbands and wives do not pray yes. together? Yes, trust, mostly. Yeah, it's such an intimate experience that if their relationship is not on the firm ground of sharing their affective life with each other to begin with, this prayer either descends to rote prayer, and they never get to a, a real sharing of the self in the presence of another before the living God. They they can't make it that far because there's a lot of work that they have to do with one another still, mm-hmm. to trust one another and to have a deeper form of communication with one another. Then when that happens, the prayer life just takes off. Right. Now, would you describe this as a as a how-to book? When I honestly when I first received it, I thought it would it would actually contain prayers that spouses could pray together. But this is right. this is an instruction. No, it's not book. it's not a how-to book except for this uh, one part at the end. I try to answer some practical questions about prayer. How to pray. And then I also give them a way of praying together. So there's practical examples at the end of the book. The center of the book, I would say, is basically three things. How to look at your spouse anew, to -hmm. behold your spouse, sort of to recall the beauty of why you even were attracted to the spouse to begin with. This is how we reestablish our love. Then from the uh, beholding or the beauty, we learn to listen again. We have to always relearn to listen to our spouse, especially if we've been married for a few years. We take this for granted. Mm -hmm. And then most necessarily, we have to learn to forgive so we behold, we listen, and we forgive. If we live that rhythm, then we can pray. And oddly enough, or not oddly actually, uh, those are the same things we need to do with God to, to de- enter into deeper prayer with Him. We need to behold Him. We need to contemplate His beauty. We need to listen to Him, to listen to Him love us. Mm-hmm. And then we're necessary. We don't have to forgive God, but we have to repent. We have to ask for forgiveness. So if you can do those three things, you can both grow closer to your spouse and deeper in prayer. So it sounds like 
uh, the, the the model, or uh, maybe that's not the right word, but what you're saying is that this idea that marriage is is truly an image of the relationship that God wants to have with us, that that if we live in our marriage the the proper relationship that we need to be having with God, then that's obviously going to benefit our marriage because we're living marriage the way God intended it to be, but it's also going to deepen our relationship with God. That's but, right. But, but not in a way that's easier. If, you're, if your relationship is going well, you already are beholding and listening and forgiving each other, yes. well, then you can start praying. Or if you're doing that with God, take those skills or those virtues and go right. uh, closer to your spouse. Right. But you're saying that first we need to learn to behold each other, to listen to each other, and to forgive each other. Otherwise, our prayer life is never going to go deeper. It, yes, it won't reach it won't reach the quality that I believe God wants all spouses to have with each other. Right now, uh, I know you've been married over twenty five years. Um, why did you feel the need to write this book? Where what experiences had you been seeing with with I guess your own experience and your your friends, family that you thought, wow, something's missing here, and people need help in this area. Well, most especially when couples or individuals come to me for spiritual direction, what I was hearing was this unbelievable thirst for more. Mm -hmm. They they weren't happy in their marriages, and and frankly, a lot of the uh, people who came to me were suffering from uh, infidelity, and they wanted to know how to get to the level of forgiveness that they needed. But this striving for more... Uh, this is where infidelity comes from. Mm-hmm. If it's not uh, satisfied in the spiritual, then we will continually look to satisfy the more in, in less than worthy objects. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that at the core of a good Catholic marriage is this restlessness for the more. So we needed a pathway to get people uh, to rest in the more and not uh, be distracted by anything less or undignified objects to pursue out of that restlessness. Do you think that this book, I mean, clearly it's for married couples, but is this something that we should be giving to even young people before marriage as they discern marriage, marriage prep, so that we learn to pray and understand how that would impact our married life? Yes. I mean, I wrote the book with uh, couples in mind and also those who are engaged. Right. It's a real tiny little book. It's only like 50 yes. pages long. Yeah, it's great. So it's not intimidating at all. It could be used for a marriage prep program or it could be used for a marriage uh, a prayer circle or couples groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's small enough that people can get into it and pause and think about it and talk about it together in a, a formation type area. Right. Now, if I can ask you a, a, maybe a personal question, how, how did prayer ch- change or affect your marriage? When we uh, first started our marriage, it was, again, we lived as Americans in the culture of distraction. And what we realized is if we don't have a half hour of time together Mm -hmm. with God and with each other every day, so we call it our happy hour. (laughs) We have come home, we get pretzels, we get wine, we talk, and then that leads into our prayer time. So every day for a half hour, we first communicate with each other, and then we communicate with God with each other. And that basically uh, has gotten us through the last 28 years with great joy. Wow. So that's another important advice there, to set time aside. Don't do it randomly. Just schedule time 
Uh, it has to be prayer. scheduled. Yes. Uh, and again, this is crucial, and this is the great struggle, greater than maybe even the intimacy, yes. is to find the time in people's calendars today to make where the they could do a half hour yeah. every day. Yeah. Well, Deacon James, it's been a, a great pleasure. I've heard a lot about you, but it's good to finally speak to you, uh, even if over the airwaves here. Um, thank you for the book and for the work that you're doing, and I'm sure that we'll be in touch. Thank you. God bless you all. Deacon James Keating is the director of the Diaconate Formation Program for the Archdiocese of Oma. He's also the director of Theological Formation for the Institute for Priestly Formation at Crichton University, also in Omaha, Nebraska. He has been married to Marianne for over 25 years. I think he said 28, and they have four children. His book, Spousal Prayer, A Way to Marital Happiness, is published by the Institute for Priestly Formation. And you can learn more at priestlyformation.org. You can also purchase the book at catholicword.com. And a note to our Spanish-speaking listeners, this book is also available in Spanish, La Oración Conyugal. So uh, go, and, go and get it. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Craig Colson, with This Is Your Justice from his album, I Am The Way.
of God shall be ours. This is your justice. 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 That was Craig Colson with This Is Your Justice from his album, I Am The Way. Craig and his wife, Kristen, are both musicians and songwriters who lead music at St. Jerome Catholic Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Craig has been a music and liturgy director in the Phoenix area for over 20 years. Currently, Craig is the liturgy liaison for Life Teen. That means that he provides some of the music suggestions and writes liturgical articles in the Life Teen Liturgy Resource Guides. His latest album, I Am The Way, which we've been listening to, is published by World Library Publications and features seven new songs that are perfect for liturgy but can also be used for retreats or any other events. And I'm very happy to welcome Craig Colson to the Salt and Light Hour. Craig, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. So good to be here. So what was it like growing up? Was it, was it a Catholic household? Was it a musical household? Tell us about, about that. Yeah, not a musical household, um, but definitely a Catholic uh, household. My mom was uh, cradle Catholic, yeah. and um, and her whole family. My dad was actually raised Jewish, oh, yeah. um, but we um, but we went to Catholic church as a kid. So yeah. Um. Uh. So you said not musical. So at what point did you start uh, showing interest for music? Yeah, I started playing. Uh, actually, I kind of came home from school after third or fourth grade, I think it was, and we all had to kind of, you know, that time in school, and they say, pick an instrument yeah, for the right. band. So yeah. um, I said to my mom, I said, well, what, what should I play? And she just immediately said the drums. And I said, oh, yeah. wow, okay, yeah, that's cool. Maybe because I was always banging on the back of the seat <laughs> in the car um, while we were driving and those kind of things. So um, so I just picked up the drums and I started taking lessons and I was in the band in school and it really wasn't until I moved to, to Phoenix, uh, the end of my eighth grade year, my dad got a job transfer yeah. and moved up to Phoenix and, uh, that's when I really started playing drums. Um, and that actually kind of brought me back to my faith, which I had kind of, kind of left earlier, you know? Okay. Wait, so, so <laughs> can you explain that? So drums bring you back to the faith. That's the title yeah, of the next book. Yeah, drums brought me back to the Catholic church, if you can believe that, because, what had happened was in, back in New York, um, in sixth grade, we received our confirmation. And mass, to me as a child, was so painful. Yes. You know, you get out of bed, your parents are screaming, get out of bed, we're going to be late for church, you know. And then when we got there, it was just so boring to me as a kid. And, the you know, the music was just not attracted to me. It was real mm-hmm. high, you know, opera kind of music that I just kind of couldn't relate to. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, I'd rather sleep. So my mom kind of made me one of those deals. And she said, well, you need to get your confirmation. You know, that's your last sacrament that you you're, you know, I promise God you need to, you need to get. So she said, if you, you know, get your confirmation, you don't have to go to mass anymore on Sundays. Wow. Yeah. And so, so I kind of, you know, and, uh, and she feels, you know, bad about that now, but that was kind of at the time was the way to get me there. So, 
Um, so then I never went to mass again. Then we moved to Phoenix a couple of years later and my parents, you know, my mom, that good old Catholic guilt, you know, kind of started setting in and she's like, we haven't been to mass in a couple of years. So they started driving around looking for churches and they weren't, you know, too impressed with a couple or whatever. I don't know what they were looking for, but finally they found this one and they just came home like unbelievably just raving about this church and you have to come, you have to come. And I said, wait a minute. You made me a deal that I never had to go to Mass again. And they said, but wait, the music is just amazing. You have to hear it. And there's drums. Oh. And I was like, get out of here. There's no drums in a Catholic church. Right. And they're like, yeah, no, seriously. And so I went just kind of out of bare curiosity. <laughs> and uh, Tom Kenzia, who's actually yeah. a, a published composer, was actually, it was his last Sunday as music director. Oh, wow. And the wow. music was just amazing. And then the next Sunday was this new music director, Paul Hillebrand, who's also a published yeah. composer. And it was just amazing music. And I was like, gosh, you know, so I kind of started playing drums on the pews. Uh -huh. And then one day there was like no drummer there. And I kind of sat, sat over there. I was just kind of, you know, playing and, and the music Paul, you know, said to me, he said, what are you doing? You know, Wednesday night. And I said, I don't know, you know, hanging out, you know, we'll come to practice. So that's how I actually got involved in back into my faith when I started playing drums nice. at mass. Nice. Okay. I have so many questions. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if we're going to get, but so, so you, you said your dad was Jewish. Was he not practicing his faith? How did that dynamic sort of work? Was he very supportive of the Catholic faith of your mother and he went to mass with you? Yeah. He just went to mass with us and just was very supportive. And, you know, he wasn't raised like a strict, you know, a Jew or anything, yeah. but, but just, you know, was very supportive of my mom and actually through my conversion in high school, through the life teen movement, the life teen program that came to my parish, right. um, my dad actually converted and right. became a Catholic. Right. Okay. So uh, is, is it ironic? Cause you're a liturgist now. I mean, you're like the guy who does workshops on liturgy and writes about uh -huh. liturgy and you write liturgical music and you actually hated mass. <laughs> so, yeah. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> what, what is it about the liturgy now that moves you and kind of did that start? Can you pinpoint like the day I was, I started drumming on such a day and that's when I started understanding liturgy or was it something that was more gradual? Oh, I don't think I understood it at that point. I just something I enjoyed, you know, the music and I enjoyed playing. I think it was more yeah. started as that. I really didn't have a, a huge clue of what was going on. It wasn't probably till later, you know, through my involvement with Life Teen, through, you know, breaking open the Mass, talking about what's actually happening at the Mass. Right. You know, it's where heaven meets earth, you know, and just re coming into realization of, you know, what we're actually doing and saying and participating in that the Mass really started to come alive for me. And then my love, you know, for the liturgy, just the more I explored the documents, you know, Vatican II and, yeah. you know, just all the different liturgical documents of our church, just, yeah. you know, really fell in love with it. So. Were you, so you got involved with Life Teen as a teenager? Correct. Yeah. So that, now explain that to me then, because, so one thing is the intellectual part. Yeah. Learning about the Mass and what it, things mean yeah. and heaven on earth, you, you use that phrase. But right. if you haven't had a real real experience of mass all yeah. that other stuff is is also meaningless so as a liturgist now what would you suggest that we parents or or youth ministers or pastors that we need to do to sort of pass on that to young people 
Right. Well, I think as a parent, I think we need to do our best to try and find, you know, for me now I can go to mass anywhere and it's mass is the mass, you know yes. what I mean? No matter what the music is or no matter, you know, if it's traditional or contemporary, whatever it is, but that's the point I'm at in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not better than anybody else. But I'm just saying for a teenager who's maybe trying discovering their faith or doesn't know, like I was, you know, for parents to try and find some kind of youth mass, you know, um, around, you know, maybe their neighborhood or, you know, different church or whatever it might be to maybe experience, you know, to give their teens that experience. And then on the other hand, from the church aspect, I think every church needs to be doing, you know, whatever we can to reach out to our youth. I think a lot of times, you know, and being on a parish, you know, different parish staffs for 20 years, we can kind of look at this and we can kind of go, oh, well, you know, there's not really a lot of teens coming. And so we really don't need to do anything because there's, we don't have a lot of teens here. Yeah. And so we don't really need to put anything on. But that's, that like might be the ministry, but the mission is to go out. To go out. There's, yeah. there's teens that walk by your church every day, you know, yeah. on their way to school or wherever it is. They're, they're, they're there. We need to be, that's, and that's, I think, the new evangelization. We need yeah. to find different ways of reaching out to them and bringing them to our church. So what do we need to to, you know, to do at our, at our masses, especially. Um, and I'm not saying dumb down the liturgy or anything like that. I'm saying just make, you know, the music should be great and the the preaching should be great. And especially to speak to the young people, they're dealing with so many things and to talk about, you know, some of the issues that are, you know, going on with, in their, in their lives. Yeah. And, and I, I think, well, I definitely agree with you and I see that in my own parish and my own experience. And I know, I'm sure a lot of people agree with you, but what would you say the, to the people who don't agree with you that would say, well, the mass is not about the music and it's not about the preaching. It's about the Eucharist. And so we need right. to just suck it up. What would you say yeah. to those people? And I, and I agree. I agree with that. It's not about, it's not all about that, you know, in, in some ways, you know, and, but, are we just going to then just have empty churches? You know, so what's going to happen to our young people? Because whether we like it or not, our young people are being, I don't want to say stolen, but I'll say yeah. stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, stolen away from Protestant churches. who are. And I'm not saying we should change everything about the Mass. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to make it, we need to find ways within the, you know, uh, the liturgical documents, yeah. you know, the, the documents talk about enculturation. Yeah. So yeah. would we, would we say that our teens are a different culture? I would think we would all say, yeah, this is a different culture. You know, mm. we didn't grow up on cell phones and, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all these things. And, you know, this is a totally different culture. So what are we doing to enculturate our teens into our parish? You know, right. so this isn't something I'm making up or, you know, life teens making up. It's, it's really uh, what the church has given us too. Right. Now I'm curious about how you, you work with your wife, Kristen, because you're mm-hmm. both on, on staff at the parish? No, we're not both on staff. Okay. She was actually, she was a teacher at the school last year. Okay. Um, but she, she's, you know, volunteer, music minister, cantor, and she canters at a few of the masses. Right. And, um, and, and then, sorry, and you write music together. And we write music together. Yeah, it kind of came, um, you know, we love writing music together. The first, when we first got published, we started writing verbatim psalm responses because a lot right. of the um, the psalm responses that we have that are contemporary are, terrible. are paraphrased. <laughs> yes. And Yeah, and so a lot of, like, this one parish we were at, the, the priest is now a bishop, actually, um, Bishop Wall in... Uh-huh. Um, in uh, Gallup, New Mexico. Yes. We actually worked for him at a parish here in Phoenix. And he was like, you know, th- we're going to chant the Psalms unless you guys start writing them and they're right. the exact text. Yes. Because um, we're paraphrasing the Word of God. So we just started every week, you know, we were just writing Psalms and writing Psalms. Went, and yeah. that's when we did our first that's great. album that way. That's great. So, And a lot of people do that now. But the, but the your latest album, I Am The Way, was not a collaboration with your wife. 
Um, there's uh, w- one song that we collaborated on, Faith Enough to Believe, that I believe you're going to play at the end of this. Yeah, yeah, uh, we're going to end the program. show with that. Yeah, yeah, that song we wrote together, um, and the other ones that are on there, just you know, coincidentally, those songs we didn't particularly write together, but we do write a lot, a lot of music together, nice. and we sing together, and and love to do that ministry together. So beautiful. So just to end off, then um, I know we've heard a, a two of the songs already from from the album, but what would you, what it's I suppose I can say it's a liturgical album and that the songs are good for liturgy but is that was that sure. your main focus or um, my main focus you know is always the liturgy you know I, I try and write music for the liturgy you know like uh, the first song that's on the album is Veni Sancti Spiritus it's, yes. the, it's the actual um, uh, Pentecost sequence uh-huh. and then the verse, the refrain is in Latin but the verses are the verbatim text you know the actual text from the sequence so written for liturgy but you can also you know listen to it in the car or you know, yeah, jam out there, going down the yeah. freeway, whatever, you know, whatever it might nice. be, you know, or use it yeah. as part of your prayer. Um, so, uh, you know, just depends on the way the mood moves. But a lot of times, yeah, I write but for so, the Mass. Yeah, so liturgy will be the, the main focus, which which is great, because I always say that, that the Catholic radio really is the Mass. That's, that's yeah. where our, our, our best of our music ends up in. Um, Craig, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good connecting with you. We've been actually playing playing your album for couple months now so it's so good to awesome. meet you um thank you for what you're doing and i'm sure all paths will cross again yeah i hope they do and thank you so much for for the time you can learn more about craig colson you can purchase his music or find out how to bring him to your parish or community by going to his website craigcolson.com here now is craig colson with faith enough to believe that song that he co-wrote with his wife from their new album or his new album i am the way
listening to Craig Colson with Faith Enough to Believe from his album I Am The Way. And that will take us to the end of the program. We began the program by giving away a whole ton of prizes. If you missed it and want to know whether you won, all our winners are listed on our website saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can sign up so that you can enter your name to win a prize. Also remember the exclusive offer to Salt and Light our listeners of a 20% discount to the series The Church Alive Go to our online store at saltandlighttv.org and use the promo code ALIVE20. That offer is valid until the end of November. Again, if you can't remember the promo code, just send me a tweet and I'll give it to you. Remember that you can always reach me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Believe